The uh, sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. I'm delighted to be here. These are historic times in Appalachia. A lot has changed, a lot is changing now, and a lot still needs to change. In our podcast, we talk with changemakers right square in the middle of all this, working to ensure the change is for the good. You're listening to Change in the Coalfields, a podcast by Coalfield Development. I'm your host, Brandon Dennison. Welcome to Change in the Coalfields. My name is Brandon Dennison. I'm your host. This is a podcast by Coalfield Development. And this week we have my fellow entrepreneur in residence here at the Marshall University Eye Center, Colin Meadows, who's the founder and owner of Tech 304. Yep. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for coming on the podcast, yep. Colin. So you grew up in the area, same as me, right? Yep. I was born and raised in Huntington, was here until I went to Marshall and then moved a little bit outside of Huntington, but been here my whole life. Pretty connected to the place. Yep. Uh, what'd your parents do? Uh, my mom was a nurse here at Cabell Huntington Hospital, and then my dad worked at uh, River Park Hospital. Gotcha. And where did you go to high school? Cabell Midland. Same as me. Yep. <laughs> and uh, you're an athlete, is that right, if I remember? Yep. Yeah, so I ran cross country and played soccer pretty much my whole life. And then uh, once I went into college, I ended up competing in American Ninja Warrior. I rock climbed and then pretty much. Oh, time out, time out. You're, <laughs> you're a ninja. I am a ninja. <laughs> what, what gets one into the ninja business? <laughs> uh, just... <laughs> Having an insane amount of, uh, I guess, energy and willing to put your life at risk. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, how do you even get interested? You just. Yeah. So um, not to jump ahead, because I'm sure you'd get into. This we'll jump a around. Bit. Yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease when I was a senior in college and then or a, yeah, a senior in college. So then whenever I was kind of coming around and finally be able to come back to the gym, things like that, because I had four treatments of chemotherapy. I wasn't allowed at the gym at that time. So it was like after that kind of... Because you might get sick. Because I could get sick more easily, yeah. So once that kind of lifted, was right when American Ninja Warrior Season 4 or Season 3 was coming out. And I was watching it, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Wow. So I started rock climbing, came down here to the Marshall Rec Center, started rock climbing, made a lot of friends that went out to the Red River Gorge and things like that, rock climbing. So got into that, and that's how I started to train and got on, not that season, but the following season, I ended up on uh, American Ninja Warrior and competing down in Daytona. So you went, I did not know this about you, so you <laughs> went from having chemo treatments, not allowed into a gym, yep. to Ninja Warrior rock climber <laughs> yep. in like a period of, uh, I don't know, eight to ten months, and then I competed about a year later. You're clearly... Um, we're going to get into your business in a little bit. Yep. You have, you know, I'll make sure we have a chance to talk about that. I mean, you're clearly just a very um, driven person. You want to get the most. And I've seen this even just in like meetings or like we help teach a class. It's you're like, you just want to get the most out of every experience right. that you have. Uh, what is it that, that drives you like that? Uh, I don't know. I, it's interesting. My mom always said I was either going to be the CEO of a massive company or the leader of a gang in prison. <laughs> and it didn't matter which one, but You're I was trending gonna, in the right direction. Yeah, I trended the right, but it was the fact that I was going to be leading and yeah. I always kind of been drawn to like, you know, helping people and leading and kind of managing and mentoring that kind of thing. So I've always enjoyed that. I've always helped teaching and, you know, helping out where I can. So I think it just kind of is natural for me to keep pushing myself and saying, like, what I can get to. 
Um, and then sometimes to a fault, like I get somewhere sure. that I've tried to get to and it's like, okay, what's next? Like, what sure. else can I do? Hard to enjoy every moment. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a good experience at Marshall? Yeah. Yeah. I love Marshall. I uh, got a double degree. So that was interesting. I decided that with a year and a half left of uh, my four year degree. And I was like, I'm not staying for another year. So I ended up busting out the second Spe- degree. Speaking of driven. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up busting out the two degrees in uh, the four-year program under my computer science degree. But I loved it here. I was an RA. I was in um, a fraternity here. I got involved as much as I could and, and loved every second of it. For folks who are listening that maybe are not from the area, can you just say a little bit about like what Marshall means to this community? Yeah, so Marshall is really the backbone of really Huntington and all the surrounding areas. And really even beyond, anytime we travel out, you see someone with a Marshall shirt and immediately you hear go herd or you we, know, are. we are. It doesn't matter where you are, like Marshall stays with everyone in this community. And you really become part of that whenever you're here. And then for me, it was special to actually become part of Marshall by being an RA, helping the students out in a more meaningful way than just being a fellow student. And now you're back as an entrepreneur residence, mentoring future entrepreneurs. Yep. Yeah. And I was, as soon as I talked to uh, Dr. Ng about that, I was like, yes, any, anything I can do. And then the entrepreneur Quick yes. yeah, in residence came up and it was like, oh, this is a no brainer. I'll definitely do it. So walk us through, you graduate Marshall and then you launch your own company, right? So walk us through how you yep. get from that to there. Yeah, so uh, in while I was here at Marshall, I have a degree in computer science. So I started learning how to develop mobile apps and do various other things that wasn't necessarily in the curriculum, but I was just interested in as being a technologist. So I started doing that freelance, getting paid to learn, which is fantastic. And then continuing that, I ended up moving into a role with uh, Dell, with their security team at Dell. Uh, now it's SecureWorks, but... Worked there for several years, and then we went to explore. Like remotely? Remotely, yes. I've actually, fun fact, I've never worked in an office, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but um, after Dell, we started. such a uh, technologist yeah, thing to say. <laughs> I know. I know. When, uh, during COVID and everything, I had people reaching out like, I don't know how you've done this for so long. And I'm like, well, don't worry. One day I'll need advice on how to go to an office every day, I'm sure. <laughs> you can like, sit down and just start <laughs> freaking out. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so after Dell, we were exploring potentially working with startups or acquiring startups. And I just got the chance to go to a startup in DC that we were looking into. And once I got there, I loved the company, loved the people working there. Dell decided to not go with them. And I left Dell and went to the startup to work there. So that was my introduction into like startup tech. And then it just kind of blew up from there. I don't know that I could go back to like a fully corporate job again, um, or at least not for a while. Too much fun. Too much fun. There's like the fast pivot. You can have a conversation with a, with a client and they're like, Hey, we want this. And literally everything you've been working on for two months, it's like, okay, everyone stop. We're going to work on this one thing this client wants because they're going to sign this deal next week and we have to have it next week. So it's just a lot different. Like you have more flexibility, you have more ownership. And it's just a faster pace. A little bit more pressure too, though, right? It's a lot more pressure, yeah. And you you really feel like you're giving back to the company and the product and the customers. So it's like every single day you're working, You, in my opinion, you have more of a reason to really push to get something done. While in a bigger setting, like when I was at Dell, it was like, yeah, we want this thing, but nothing's going to happen because we're this behemoth of a tech company. They're not going to leave us. 
But a startup, you lose that one deal. Like, you don't know necessarily when that next big deal is going to come. the company. Yeah, it could just destroy the company. So, Say a little bit more. So for folks who've maybe not been part of a startup, just the culture of a, of a startup and, the like, the camaraderie. Yeah, it's just – it's a lot more fun. Like, everyone knows – I mean, whenever I started, the name of the company was GroupSense that I ended up going to. I was the first full-time employee hired. So it was me and three founders and a few, like, contractors or part-time employees. And then we started hiring people. I had a huge part in hiring the rest of my team oh, cool. at that time. It's just, like, I, I knew every single person in the company and not just, like, knew their name. Like, I knew their entire story. I knew they where they are, came what they from. Care about. Yeah, their kids. Like, I would ask, hey, how's this, you know, this thing going on with your wife or, like, your kid or whatever? And we knew everything going on with everyone. So, it really, I don't like when companies say, like, we're a big family because a lot of times it's not actually meant like that. It's more of a lot of times you hear that and it's almost – pressure to be involved more like they're using it almost as a weight to get you to excuse to make you work all day Sunday yeah, exactly but in a startup setting or at least a small startup setting you really are a lot more of like a tight-knit group of friends where everyone knows so much about you like they in most cases they really do care about what's going on and for both reasons one personal and then one professionally if you something goes on with you and you're not there there's going to be an impact so it's just it's a lot different you have a value that I've seen you speak to about your your business that I wonder if it came from this business, which is that everyone takes out the trash. Yep. Could you speak to that? Yeah, I I don't know if it was this one. I think it was the one I went to next after group since I went to a company out of Baltimore called Terbium Labs. And the CEO there was fantastic. He always talked about wanting to build a company that he always wanted to work for. And he said he did that. He finally built a company that he would love to work for, but due to investor relations, being the CEO, all this stuff, yeah. said he didn't get to work for the company that he built to <laughs> achieve that goal. But he always said, you know, no one's too good to take out the trash and all of that. And it really comes down to just, you know, everyone willing to help out, do whatever it is. There's no, oh, that's not my job kind of thing. Right. And, you know, oh, you know, the intern should take care of that. Like none of that kind of sentiment was really part of the culture there. And oftentimes you see that throughout startups. Like that is a common feeling. I never had heard it said quite like he had said it, but that is a very common feeling that it's like, oh, anything happens, you're going to go help. Like I, I am in the technical side, but there's plenty of times I helped out marketing with, you know, something with the website or, you know, helped out sales with something going on with their email or whatever it might be. And it's, I'm not IT, so it's not something that I actually do day in and day out but it's something that I am probably more knowledgeable about than that individual at that time. And that makes you better at what you do. Exactly, yep. So you went from Marshall to Dell yep. to D.C. To, to Baltimore. To Baltimore. Yep, and then after that was whenever I started Tech 304. So that was in uh, 2019. Uh, started the company to really bring everything that I learned from the startup space, which the whole time I was contracting or – you know, advising different companies that I had come into contact with or helping in whatever way to learn as much as I could. I often say I want to know as much as I can about as much as I can in the tech space, which is a very large statement in the tech space. Tech space is like, uh, <laughs> that's a space. Yeah, it's a space and it doesn't stop growing. Um, but I then started my own company to really bring back that whole startup feel that I had, you know, learned and experienced in these other areas, uh, whether it be Seattle or Atlanta, D.C., Baltimore, all these places that I visited that we don't necessarily have here in West Virginia. 
So I wanted to bring all that back and find a way to either A, help startups, technical startups grow in the state, or B, find a way to hire people in the state to help other startups grow. And specifically focusing on startups just because that was an area that I had seen a lot of technology that was almost thrown together. And then it either didn't go well or founders lost a lot of money because of the way they built it or, um, you know, just different scenarios that I thought that I'd find a way to help. So stereotypically, and, and I don't know, I, don't, I haven't done the research to say if this is accurate or not, but two words that many people would probably not associate with West Virginia would be startup <laughs> and technology. That is true. So how's it going for you? Uh, so it's going pretty good. Um, we did pivot a little bit for exactly what you just said. Is there, There's not a lot of startups, or at least technical startups. We have a lot of sweaty startups, as I know you're familiar with, so like a lot of trade-based startups that are doing well, in my opinion, that I've talked to a lot of people there. But when you get to technology-based startups, there isn't a huge group of people here. And if there are, I have probably talked to them or, you know, been in contact with yeah. them in some way just because there's not too many of us that are doing very, like, complicated technology-based things. So we ended up pivoting a little bit. And actually this past March, I don't even know if you've heard of this, but this past March I started a company called Rev Labs LLC um, with a partner that I met through Tech 304. So that kind of spans it out a little bit more. So where Tech 304 would focus on startups and building, helping build technology for startups, Rev Labs is really focused on helping businesses build custom software to deliver what, you know, like almost like an operating system for their business, which we, our first client was here in West Virginia, which was fantastic. Um, but basically we go in and there's these large platform as a service platforms that you can get, like say Salesforce, that's just massive. Like it, it can probably do what you want, but it's going to be, you know, a headache. You're going to have to hire people just to learn how to do it. You can kind of wiggle around it, but you have no flexibility. It's exactly what it is and that's it. And then you have the niche solutions where it's like you can do one or two things you want. You might need two or three of these solutions, but it's much more focused on like your exact industry, things like that. So what we do is we're kind of in that middle ground of providing you all the flexibility of that big platform as a service while giving you all the customization of the niche service while bringing those all together. And it's very much developed for your business. So we go in, we learn your business, we talk, we have extensive lead time on how to actually learn about what it is you're doing so we can build a product and prototype with you as we go to build what it is that you're looking for to help you know, grow revenues or cut costs or just become more efficient across the board. There's a lot of aspects to it when we go to build. Incredible. So if folks want to learn more about either, yep. where can they go? Uh, so Tech304, you can email me at colin, C-O-L-L-I-N dot meadows at tech304.com. And on RevLabs, the website might be up by the time this is up. So you can go to revlabs.io uh, or you can email me at colin at revlabs.io. The startup bug never fades. Yep, yep. That's true. Um, yeah, just constantly involved with a ton of things here. You must have a supportive family. Yep. Yeah, and of course, almost my whole family. So I am one of four. I have two older brothers, one younger sister. Um, everyone but my oldest brother is local. Um, my oldest brother lives up in New York, but tries to travel down as much as he can. And then everyone else is here. We generally get together. 
with my side of my family once a week. So my daughters and like my nephew or my nieces can all get together um, and have like dinner together. And then same thing on my wife's side, her whole family is local. So we pretty much do the same thing with both of them where we're kind of all together. Everyone knows what's going on or, you know, if you need anything, they're there. Tight knit. Yep. Exactly. How keyed in are you on the broadband conversation, West Virginia, and, and what are your thoughts about broadband? Yeah, um, I go in and out um, just because I'm not – there's some things I it's don't – It's like in the headlines yeah. every other day, and it's sort of hard to follow, like <laughs> what's actually going to lead to something yep. and what's actually just yeah. chatter. I have a lot of conversations with people about yep. it, um, some of which I don't know are accurate or not, like just because where it is in the legislative system and everything, like I'm not keen on that part. But it is very clear that our broadband is not where it needs to be. Like, we need more speed. We need more, you know, availability across the state. Like there's a ton of issues with the Internet here and just bringing businesses in. Like, especially today, we need Internet. Like, if you – if I were to do anything and it's like, oh, well, the Internet is, you know, 25 or even 50 megs up, which is what people would probably love to have around here. In some cases, you can't even get that. The business isn't going to come. Like, it's just not going to be what the, that business needs. So I haven't stayed up with it inside of, you know, the legislative system. But on the outside, I've talked to a lot the of people about are, it. are not yeah. there yet. Right, exactly. So I think it's cool you call yourself a technologist. Um, that's just, that's a cool word. And I wonder, like, if somebody's listening, technology could be intimidating. Yep. Especially if you don't grow up around, I mean, we talk about broadband, and there's some parts of the state we don't even have like cell phone service right, still, let yeah. alone broadband internet. Yep. <laughs> you know, and then if you want to talk about like meta augmented reality, <laughs> like you literally yeah. might as well be on Mars. Yeah. You know, what's your advice to someone who who maybe feels uncomfortable with technology but knows they need to learn more about it? What do you say? Yeah, there there's a lot of different resources in the state. Actually, last year I was doing a um, I, I was a guest on the WSAZ Studio 3 to just yeah. kind of give insights on. I saw those. That was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was just You're natural. Of, <laughs> thank you. Um, it was pretty much to give insights on, like, the security side of things of, like, you know, don't just put your credit card anywhere and don't do this. So, you know, there are different groups. That was WSAZ. So they were trying to get help out to, you know, their viewers. And there are places all through West Virginia uh, and Marshall and RCBI, you know, all these places that do have resources that can help you with those. So if you are comfortable getting online, uh, sometimes that can be actually more dangerous if you're not super familiar with things. So it's probably better to go to even like a local library or something like to start learning from someone else that might have a little bit more experience from, than you. Just because, unfortunately, there are a lot of scams and scammers online. And if you're not comfortable with it right now, be careful. Be careful, yeah. What about for a business owner who maybe feels behind the technology curve Yep. Knows that's a disadvantage economically. Wants to try and catch up. Short of like call Tech 304, <laughs> sign here. Tech 304, where I left <laughs> right now. Um, so there are actually several initiatives inside of um, the government that here in West Virginia that are helping with that. So um, RCBI is a good resource, depending on what you're doing, they might be able to help. And if not, they would be happy to connect you with people that can help. Yep. There's the um, West, West Virginia High Tech Foundation. They do a lot. Um, I actually just had a conversation with someone today that's working with them. Oh, cool. um, and there are just different groups of people that are truly just trying to help 
businesses get online or maybe start an e-commerce site or, you know, get online um, scheduling. If you do like in-home services, all of those kinds of things, there are actually a lot of West Virginia government-based agencies and groups that are trying to help businesses kind of come into the more modern age of like the internet and how we use it. You're sort of uniquely positioned to observe business trends in the state, given your business, being a business person yourself. What are some areas of our state's economy that you're seeing some movement and feeling hopeful about? Uh, We really do see a lot more on the tech side now. Um, So two years ago, whenever I started Tech 304, it was kind of hard to find a whole lot going on here. There just wasn't a lot um, happening. And then really with COVID, a lot of these people that had jobs um, that were rooted here or originally came from here and then left for the jobs, they could now work remotely. So a lot of people are coming back for different reasons. Um, you know, we we do still have work to do on like the overall migration, but COVID definitely helped people come back to our state that if they had the choice, I could have my job from New York and then live in West Virginia. A lot of people like that. So um, I am seeing more and more of those people who have, pretty much left the state, gotten exposed to different things, and then come back. You see a lot of them kind of trying to build something and move things forward and trying to keep it in the state. Um, so one, uh, he didn't leave, but one project that I'm working on is um, Analytica Legalis. It's a legal technology software. Um, we're actually going to be in D.C. at a uh, sweet name. Yeah, it's uh, Legal Analytics. Uh, that's what it stands for. But we're going to be in D.C. next week for ILTACON, which is a legal tech conference. But that's actually founded by another crazy name. Yeah, I know. It's like I think matrix it's, uh, stuff here. I'm trying to remember what the I is. Maybe International uh, Legal Tech Association. I think ILTA. Um, but Luke Yingling is the is my co-founder. He was the originator of the idea, and is basically analyzing judges on why they make certain decisions. Not necessarily what decisions they made in the past or like any trends there. It's really trying to understand the judge from an artificial intelligence point of view and understanding what it is that they're likely to make a decision on based off of different characteristics and indicators. But his whole thing, one reason that I jumped on board as soon as I heard about it is he was like, I want to build this thing and I want to keep it in West Virginia. And he graduated from WVU Law. Um, he is nice. you know, based around here. He went to Cabell Midland. Um, and he just has that connection of wanting to keep that business here. And I'm seeing more and more of that. Some of those people might have left and now came back. But a lot of people do kind of have those roots here and they want to help as much as they can, even if they're not necessarily living here. I'm seeing a lot more of that um, happening. It's exciting. Yep. Technology and education, both K-12 and higher ed. Yep. Thoughts on that and how to do it well. Yeah, I think. And, and, and as an added background on that, like some of our crew members in Coalfield's training yep. program, you know, most are enrolled in the community college and really struggle with online. Right. I, 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 they just – on par, on balance, most do way better in a classroom sure. setting. And I and I just wonder, what is that that we're uncomfortable with technology? Is that the instructors aren't really equipped to make that work? Yeah, I think it's kind of a, a big group of factors. I know I never took one online class for, mm-hmm. you know, my entire time here at Marshall. I didn't take a single one. Because you didn't one. want to or it wasn't Because awful. I didn't want to. Because yeah. I knew if it was up to me to do all my coursework yep. without having to go to a specific place – it was very unlikely that it would have happened. Know thyself. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I might have, you know, gotten things done, but I wouldn't have had the same experience that I got now. I wouldn't have sat next to the people I ended up making friends with and ended up pushing ourselves forward 
if I was at home by myself or even, you know, at the library with other students, but not in the same mindset as everyone in the same room. So I think that's one big thing whenever you're going to remote learning. Um, and even now there's a lot of stuff going on in the remote learning space as COVID has kind of pushed us into it a lot harder. But if it's just like online classes, I don't think we do it nearly as well as we could. Uh, Udemy is a big one. They have a few um, like sponsored college courses. I think there's um, they have a whole program through Georgia Tech University. Uh, there's different things like that that they are trying to do better on. Yep. But whenever you get into like, I can't speak to what Marshall does now, but then whenever I was in school, Marshall would pretty much put up like PowerPoints. It's like, okay, here, you know, here it is. And then you do, you kind of go through it and then you do the assignment. Sometimes you'd get on there and watch a video of the instructor, things like that, but it's still not, it's not really interactive. Right. Uh, it's, it's all on your own. It's static. Yeah, it's very static. And if you don't follow it, like then you have to send an email. It's not, it's not the conversation you would have in a classroom. Because I know several times I would go up to the professor after class or talk to other students in my class, but it's because they were right there. Uh, if they weren't there, I had to send an email or even like a message in some other capacity. It's like now I have to wait for them to be able to respond. And then like, you know, it becomes asynchronous conversation and like how long does it take for you to get the answer you need, all of that. So I think that's one big problem is the way we go about teaching online is not even remotely close to how we teach in person. Mm -hmm. So we need to get those closer together. And then the other side is whenever people present technology in like elementary schools, middle schools, like their big go-to is, oh, we're just going to give everyone an iPad. We're going to give everyone a computer. And it's like, well, that's great. So like, we can watch cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, that's a great solution to give them the technology. But that doesn't actually help them with their learning. It just allows them to access the learning. And that that's a whole nother gap. It's like that's not enough. It's like just giving them the tech isn't enough to actually help them learn with that technology. Rapid fire. I, I, I know for a fact a lot of people who listen are business owners yep. themselves or in management. Right. So – uh, I'm going to I'm going to needle you for some free advice and if you don't want to answer cuz it's billable then just feel free to c- cut me off. Okay. Website advice, how to have a, a an actually good valuable website. Yeah, um web designers are great. You can find designers that'll, you know, build a website for, you know, several thousand dollars and a lot of times that's really valuable if you're doing a more complicated website. But if you're doing a, you know, some mostly static landing page-like website where they go to it, they see information about what you're doing, phone number, email, maybe a contact us form, don't really need to spend that much on it if you want to hire someone else. If you don't want to hire someone else, you have WordPress.com, uh, Square.com. You know, there's several kind of drag-and-drop solutions that you can actually do it Save yourself. Save a lot of money. Save a lot of money. At least get something up. Like, you definitely want a website, especially today. You want to do a um, Google My Business profile, except they just changed that. It's now Google Business Profile. You want one of those because that's what's going to help people find you online if you're a local service. So if you're, like, a plumber yeah. like and you're doing a certain service area, you want to be in there with the right details. And that's going to help you when people search on Google for a plumber near me or, you know, something like that. CRM advice. CRMs is a big one. Um, so if you have a lot of customers and want to automate uh, communication with them or anything like that, CRMs are in, Ill, invaluable. But you just want to make sure you don't break the bank using them. Um, there's a lot that costs a lot of money, and then there's some that don't cost a lot of money but don't give you a lot of functionality. So it's really just evaluating it. I love Hub, HubSpot. 
I'm a big fan of HubSpot. Don't know anything about their pricing. <laughs> so uh, if it's too expensive, then, you know, don't do it. But, you know, there are different things you can do. Um, even just initially, just like having a spreadsheet of your, a secure spreadsheet of your. Uh, that was my next question. Yeah, of your customers' details. Security. Yep. Security. Digital just, security. Yep. That's a huge one. Um, cr- well, you are a ninja. It could be like I physical ninja, building. Yeah. yeah, it could be. And well, what's funny is even in the personal security, in too. the security space, <laughs> like hack or like hackers, a lot of times there's a similar term for ninja. Yeah. Like, so it just, it all comes full circle. <laughs> it's too good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, security is obviously extremely important, especially today. Um, really the biggest thing is training. If I had to pick anything is what, cause once you understand like the, the risks, so a lot of people will click links, not thinking about them in emails and that's not necessarily great. Um, using debit card or credit cards, just kind of anywhere. Um, it's like, Oh, well it looked right. So, and it, you know, that's putting you at danger, kind of double checking everything. Whenever you come to things on the internet, that's the big one is just like double checking it. You get a email from your boss that says this is very common. Um, that says, Hey, I need you to send me, you know, like, uh, $500 of Amazon gift cards for a client that I'm in a meeting with right now. Can't talk. And it's like, you know, okay. So they go and do it cause their boss just told them to, but then you talk to your boss 30 minutes later and it wasn't him. It's like, everything just needs double checked. I, in 99.9% of the cases for that example, they're not going to lose the deal over Amazon gift cards. Like if you really think through, just take them, a minute, breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Just think about it a little bit. And then like, there are technical uh, security practices you can put in place, but really the biggest thing is just training because I think it's like 95, 96% of security incidents are actually caused by social engineering, which is where someone, I did not know that this is very interesting because I've been in a lot of meetings. Like we need to digital security and there's like very expensive products. Some of which may not be a terrible idea still yet, but if you don't invest in the training and and the knowledge, the best software in the world won't, Yep, exactly. Yeah, if you have MFA, Microsoft came out. I was um, like an interim CTO for a small MFA company about three years ago, and we built a solution for uh, managed service providers to add MFA, which is multi-factor authentication, into um, all these different companies. And we a research study came out from Microsoft that said 99.9% of security breaches could have been avoided by just turning on MFA. And, like, it's just crazy that so many people, they talk about how, um, I guess, how inconvenient it is to do, but it's it takes an extra 20 seconds. Um, and if you're on the same session, then, you know, you only do it once, all this stuff, but it would save so much by just turning that on. So even that, like, once you really learn it, it's like the training and then something so simple as, like, a password policy that's not ridiculous. You don't need 26 characters of all random characters and MFA. It's just like, you know, do a little bit in training and you, you're probably going to knock off majority of the people. And that's even saying that you're really at risk, uh, which is a whole nother conversation. What's a uh, technology on the horizon that we should all be really excited about or that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in the whole metaverse. I don't know what it's going to be like. It's a little terrifying because I don't like we're already so committed into technology that you can kind of see it. Just in case somebody say a little bit about what the meta, what that yeah, is. Yeah. So it's pretty much like an artificial world uh, that's tied in together with the real world. Um, so there's recently. Sounds pretty creepy. Exactly. Yeah. And you can be someone else. You can be yourself. You can, you know, it's just, it's very <laughs> different. Um, and it's very new. So of course it sounds ridiculous, like to a lot of people, but there's a lot of people that love it. 
And like, there is a lot of value in it, advertising, like there's a ton of good things that can come out of it, but there's also a lot of bad social impacts that I can foresee happening. And that's the, that's the thing that I'm not sure about. On the other side of it is just like blockchain as a whole is a great technology for decentralizing a lot of things. So, you know, everyone gets up in arms with how large some of these tech companies are. You have Amazon, Facebook, all these people that have just massive amounts of data on all of us and like what they actually know. There was a like a, a book called The Four that I read several years ago. It's a little outdated now, but it said Facebook knows more about your friends than you do. Um, Amazon knows more about what you want than you do. Uh, Google knows your deepest secrets that you wouldn't even tell a best friend. And then um, there was there was one more that I can't remember. But it's basically just saying because of the data they have and the continuous data they have, they know things that really you might not even know about yourself mm. because you don't think about them. But whenever we take all this data over, say, like Amazon, 10 years of purchases, when you purchase them, how you purchase them, how many times you looked at things, like there's just a lot of data there that helps Amazon be Amazon. Like they do give you better suggestions, like they are doing a good thing for their service, but like there's a lot that people are worried about with the amount of Whole data. Another ethical have. realm we haven't yeah. really established. Exactly. So if we decentralize a lot of those things, not necessarily saying Amazon needs to, or you know, even Facebook or Google need to, not getting into that, but just saying like the more things like that that we can decentralize and kind of spread out gives us less of the concept of this company is evil. This company wants to take over the world mentality because they're no longer the ones who house that. It's much more decentralized. It's spread out across the place. Exactly. Hopefully. Hopefully. So my last question uh, that I like to ask everybody, you're, you're an Appalachian. Yep. Proud of it. Lifelong. Choose to be here. Yep. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen here in Appalachia? And then what are some of the biggest changes that you still hope to see in the future? Yeah, I've I feel like there's a lot more movement to of at least in the Huntington to Charleston corridor, which is where I'm primarily at, that you see a lot more of this push towards some of the things that I always felt that West Virginia was a little bit behind. Um it seems like we're catching up faster. Um so we've always kind of been a few steps behind on the social aspect and like different things that we have going on. But it seems like we're catching up a lot quicker in the last, you know, two to four years or whatever it might be to kind of enact some of these things we've learned from other cities, Um, whether that be, you know, different festivals or, you know, even just some of the things we're allowing inside of cities. And, you know, it just seems like it's more like those other places, not as big, of course, but it is becoming more, you know, I guess more. Would you say the quality of life in this area from when you were a kid? and maybe even when you were in college to now, has gotten better? Oh, absolutely. I don't know how many times my wife and I will drive down here, and it's like, how awesome would this have been if it was here when we were here? Um, so that Restaurants. Yep, restaurants, even just like the events that go on, it just seemed like there wasn't a whole lot that it, if Marshall didn't put it on, then it didn't happen. But now that's not the case. There, are, You know, we have 9th Street Live, which is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. I think they should keep it going longer than they do, but – um, there's just a lot more that's happening uh, in the cities and even on the outside. And we do have that huge focus now with the big push to West Virginia tourism, to call out our state parks, things like that, that we did. Um, like my wife's family loves state parks, so we would go there on a lot of um, like vacations and everything. But growing up, I didn't. we didn't really go to a lot of those. So it was just like I don't know if there's more education around them, if I got lucky with my in-laws. 
don't let them listen to this, but, um, or like what it really is that we had that opportunity. And then now there's obviously within the state, there's a big push to get people to come in and visit those places. And I think we're trying to do more at those places to draw those people in. And you're doing your part to contribute. So, I mean, thank you for being a creative, persistent entrepreneur and uh, for being engaged here at Marshall as a fellow EIR and for spending some time on the podcast, Colin. Absolutely. Keep it going. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Change in the Coalfields is a podcast created by Coalfield Development in the hills and hollers of West Virginia. This episode was hosted by Brandon Dennison and produced and edited by JJN Multimedia. Become a part of our mission to rebuild the Appalachian economy by going to our website, coalfield-development.org, to make a donation. You can email us anytime at info at coalfield-development.org and subscribe to our newsletter for more information on the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn by searching Coalfield Development. Check back soon for more episodes.